The voice of the people was heard in the land. 68 million citizens of the United States go to the polls to exercise their cherished franchise, and an overwhelming mandate is handed to Lyndon Baines Johnson, who becomes 36th President of the United States. The man who was thrust into office through the hand of tragedy captures an overwhelming percentage of the popular vote, more than 61%, a plurality over Barry Morris Goldwater of nearly 16 million ballots. It is an historical, sweeping victory, approached only by that of Franklin Roosevelt in 1936. It is an election that crosses party lines, sees five states in the solid South defect to the GOP, and has political scientists wondering. It's the president's hometown, and they're proud of it. Many townsfolk are on hand when the polls open, waiting for Mr. Johnson, and he arrives eight minutes later to cast his vote. Accompanied by the First Lady, the President seems confident of becoming the first Southerner ever to be elected to this highest office. The way he voted would hardly be a top-level secret, but it probably helped swing his home state of Texas into the victory column. Now it's back to the ranch to await the returns. Meanwhile, the other candidate casts his ballot in his hometown, Phoenix, Arizona. Senator Goldwater was up at 5 in the morning chatting with other amateurs on his ham radio, and then he has a wait of more than an hour in line before he votes. Mr. Goldwater said later he split his ticket. Incidentally, a Democrat was elected governor of Arizona. Did the senator help? Later, with the results in, Mr. Goldwater pledged himself to assist the newly elected president in every way he could. With a strong legislative record, high approval ratings and running mate Hubert Humphrey giving the ticket geographic and ideological balance. Lyndon Johnson's 1964 victory remains one of the biggest electoral landslides in American history. Coming up, conversations with National Security Advisor McGeorge Bundy, U.S. Information Agency Director Carl Rowan, civil rights leader James Farmer, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as President Johnson looks ahead to a full term in office. We begin on November 5, 1964. President Johnson is at his Texas ranch following the election, and he calls former Pennsylvania Governor David Lawrence. They talked about the returns in the Keystone State and Senate candidate Genevieve Blatt, who lost to incumbent Republican Hugh Scott in one of the few Democratic election night defeats. David? Yeah. Hello? Well, uh, how's the old champ? <laughs> how you feeling? I'm pretty tired and worn out, but I want to tell you how much I love you and how much I appreciate all you've done. Oh, I certainly appreciate your calling. Well, yeah. looks like your state of Minnesota, uh, your state of Pennsylvania did pretty well by the Johnson Humphrey ticket. They did all right. I say told our boys election night that you were the best committeeman we had. <laughs> a lot of good ones, but you were the best. I well, know who the best committeeman is. I said, who? I said, Johnson. Tell you what you better do, Dave. You better get on old Frank Smith's lift. That sucker wanted dinner at the White House with me. Oh, yes, yes. Well, I saw that. It's in the Philadelphia Inquirer this morning that he talked with you. Yeah, well, that's good, but I... I they, they did well, and it was some of them, I think, uh, the 67 counties, I think uh, Goldwater only carried five, or, or possibly four. Uh, counties like Montgomery and Delaware, right outside of Philadelphia, you know, where they many times have given 50 and 60,000 against as you carried them. Isn't that wonderful? And, and, the, and the mayor of Pittsburgh uh, wins his bet, too. I don't know what you bet. What did I bet? Good well, God, I'm going to be broke. Yes. He, don't you remember I was going out to the airport? He said, yeah. I don't know if you put up any any particular, particular stakes, but uh, they carried Pittsburgh by 110,000, uh, and uh, Kennedy carried it by 92. 
And the county out there in Allegheny went by uh, a quarter of a million, uh, 225,000. Wow. Oh, it's a terrific victory, and we swept the House, you know. We got the House of Representatives. Wow. And, and we're within two votes of the, of the Senate, and we elected uh, all of the state tickets, so we're, we're very grateful to you. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's, uh, Genevieve didn't make it. No, but we're still uh, looking at it. She's about 20,000 behind, and there's a hundred and some thousand uh, absentee ballots, and, uh, and we're watching for discrepancies in the tabulation like uh, Steve Young found in Ohio. Yeah. So we're hoping maybe we'll find them there. Yeah. Yeah. But it was too much for us to overcome. Uh, yeah. that, that, uh, the statement that Clark made in the primaries that nominated her was basically the thing that beat her. Yeah. That same thing was revived. Well, Dave, you've been awful wonderful. I'm going to depend on you. Stand by me. I'm going to need you more than ever now. Uh, that's right, and uh, it's, it's certainly a great tribute to you. I tell you, it really was. It's fantastic that the people of the country rose up in this fashion. And, uh, and uh, I don't say this to flatter you, but you're you're doing a hell of a job. I think the basic thing, Lyndon, is the fact that you've got people of all elements working together, like your the attitude you've got of big business and the labor unions and all together working as they should be working that they're no longer enemies like we've had them for a hundred years or since the Republic was formed. So I think that's the big thing. Well, we'll be back in a few days, and I'll be seeing you. Let me know if anything I can do, and remember how, how much I appreciate your friendship. Okay, now. Fine. Bye. Thanks a lot for Bye. calling. Bye. President Johnson and former Pennsylvania Governor David Lawrence on November 5th, 1964. Later that day, Carl Rowan called to congratulate the president. Mr. Rowan had broken barriers in 1961 when President Kennedy appointed him Deputy Assistant Secretary of State. Three years later, he was heading up the U.S. Information Agency, making him the first African-American to hold a seat on the National Security Council. Hello. Hello. Yes, Carl. Mr. President. How are Paul, let me say congratulations. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, my friend. Well, it was wonderful. I was just uh, delighted. Well, I thought, it, uh, I thought they did mighty good. Well, it was what you stood for, and, it, and the people showed they appreciated it. Well, I was delighted. That's good. How are things going with you? Oh, things are going quite well, Mr. President. I, I called uh, first to ask if uh, now that we've got the election out of the way, you would give me a little leeway to make a couple of trips that the State Department and I think are, are quite crucial. Now, the first one is only a two-day my top officers are going to meet in Berlin, my top officers from behind the Iron Curtain. I need to meet with these top officers, first of all, because I don't know them, and secondly, I want to know what's going on behind there in terms of our propaganda program and so forth. So this would be a, a three-day deal in late November. Uh, the second thing is not specific, but the, the department and nine of our ambassadors in Africa have contacted me. They say we've got a deteriorating situation in Africa, and that if I would just show my face on that continent, it would help to some degree to uh, stem the tide, that the rush that the Chinese particularly are putting on there. And I think this is something that, that is in our foreign policy interest. And I was hoping you'd give me the leeway to work it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm against traveling. I think the place for the administrator is uh, at his desk uh, running the places and uh, not globetrotting around the world. I've always had uh, strong feelings about the fellow that uh, administers the job and one that uh, uh, goes around. But I think those are reasonable and necessary, and you haven't had to very much. And uh, 
just hold it. I just want you to have the best record anybody in the United States, and I don't want him jumping up saying that here he is in a nightclub in Berlin, and here he is in a, some other place in Paris, and here he is this, and I just think you have a good record, and you're smart as hell, and you've done a good job, and uh, you've got 20-odd million people that are just watching the watching the example you set and taking great pride in everything you do. And I think these two or three days are all right. Uh, I think Africa's all right, and I think Berlin's all right. But I would generally hold down and all of my assistants, and uh, and uh, uh, I, I just know that all of us, including the president, do much too much trotting around, and uh, I feel very strongly about it. But these cases, why, well, I, I think you're justified, and you go on to them. Well, I appreciate it, Mr. President. You can be sure I'll hold it to a minimum, no. and I'll continue to try to. Well, do you've done you've done a wonderful job, and you haven't made a haven't made a single misstep, and just don't make one. Just keep doing it, and and uh, uh, we're going to have a big thing to do in Vietnam. I don't know what the hell we can do out there, but you want to be sure that you're doing everything you can do. Yes, I just got an uh, an urgent plea from them for another top level man, which I've agreed to send them. So uh, we're we're doing everything we know how. Um, that is the only place I've been overseas since I took this job, as you know, and it was a very valuable trip. Yeah. But we're going to try to do everything we know how, President. It's a tough one, though. All right. Okay. Well, thank you. Bye. Thank you very much. President Johnson and U.S. Information Agency Director Carl Rowan. Also that day, the president called James Farmer. As one of the founders of the Congress of Racial Equality, James Farmer had helped shape the civil rights movement's nonviolent activist approach. Hello? Hello. Jim? Yes. Lyndon Johnson. Mr. President, my warm congratulations. I've been trying to get you for a few days here, but these lines of Johnson City are not very conducive to getting many people on the phone. I saw you on television. I've forgotten when, yesterday or the day before. Oh, yes. Thought it was real good, and I just wanted to, I just wanted to call you and tell you that uh, you ought to be awful proud of your folks and your people and your leadership. And, well, we're proud of you, Mr. Uh, President. Well, uh, every place I went, we carried the banner, and uh, we uh, never pulled any punches. Even poor little Lady Bird on her train, she came in a little scarred up, but uh, 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 they, uh, she gave a lot of people hope, and she said the best thing that. Uh, she left was she put fight in some of them that is about to give up. That's right. I only wish we had been able to press a little harder in South Carolina and Georgia. We could well, have carried them. Yeah, well, we'll we'll do it. It was their loss, and we'll, we'll next four years, we'll, we've got to start out now. Right. We've got to go work on our poverty program, and we've got to go to work on our education, and we've got to go to work on uh, things that uh, can... Uh, uh, Rebuild, and I'll be in touch with you. And I get back to Washington, and we'll. We'll support, Mr. President. Well, incidentally, my wife saw you on television on the wind-up on Monday, and she says you were simply magnificent. Well, tell her. Came across with certain goodness and probable greatness. Well, tell her she's mighty sweet to say that, and we tried her best, and I was comforted and uh, uh, strengthened by uh, uh, your advice and by your help, and uh, these. uh, these good friends that we had in nearly every state, uh, when they touch your hand, you could look in their eye, and, and they, 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 we communicated. 
Yes, you certainly did. And I, I'm mighty proud of what happened, and I, I wanted you to know it. I was proud of your part in it. Well, thank you very much, Mr. President. And we are with you 100%. You, you come in. We'll, we'll get together when I get back up there and get settled. I want to talk to you about it. I want to be sure your people get in, and we're going to take this billion dollars for education and work projects, and we want to take some of these youngsters and start to equipping them to meet the problems of life. Very good. And we do it this year, then next year we can have a bigger program. Excellent. I shall look forward to seeing you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Also that afternoon, the president called Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King had been an active part of the Johnson campaign and welcomed the victory. Hello? Doctor? Yes, Mr. President. Well, I just uh, wanted to tell you that uh, how mighty proud I was of a lot of folks. Last Tuesday, and uh, Hubert Humphrey left here about 30 minutes ago, and I still haven't shaved. I got off my my bathrobe. I was up all night tonight before, and I thought I'd call half a dozen or so folks and tell them how much I appreciate their confidence and what a good job I thought they'd done, and how they justified our faith, and how many how many more now we've got to help uh, get out of their bondage. Yes, well we. We are certainly all very happy about the outcome. It was just such a great victory. And I certainly appreciate your calling. It, uh, we have some bright days ahead, I think. Well, it was a, it was a great tribute to the, uh, to the intelligence, and the judgment, the patriotism of the Negro people that uh, uh, they couldn't mislead them and they couldn't uh, fool them. And, yeah. They, their leaders, uh, their leaders, I think, made great progress from them, and I know they all, uh, all take great pride in, uh, uh, in uh, your great honor. And uh, I wired you the other day, but I was moving pretty oh, yeah. fast, and I, I don't know what day it was. As a matter of fact, I don't know where I am hardly. I'm kind of like, I, I'm like Dr. Theodore Francis Green. You know, he was at one of Ms. Mester's parties one time, looking a little book. I asked him, I said, Mr. Chairman, he's about 87 years old, and I said, what are you trying to do? See where you're going from here? And he said, no, I'm trying to find out where I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know you really need some real rest. I know what you've gone through the last few days. We'll be back up there working on our program, and uh, we're going to have a, we're going to spend a lot of time with Shriver on our poverty thing. I wish you'd give a little thought to it, because that offers uh, a lot of opportunity for uh our young people that have been denied and we got nearly a billion dollars this year and and we we ought to get it going uh, around the first of the year in pretty good shape and then next year we can do it a lot bigger and expand it and it offers a lot of economic hope too and uh, i'll be calling on you and we'll all have another meeting and uh, uh, try to get our heads together on the things that are head we got this behind us now and we got to move on the next four years and make some advances and uh, yes. I'll be I'll be in touch with you well good good and again let me congratulate you and say what a great moment we think this is for our country it was a great victory for the forces of progress and a defeat for the forces of retrogress and uh, I think we we have some great challenges and opportunities ahead and we are we're all with you Thank you, Doctor. Thank you so much. I just want to give you a ring.
Give my best regards to the madam. Sure will. She sure. sure will. She had a hard drive. She took on a pretty hard assignment, didn't she? I'm telling you that she did it beautifully and eloquently. We're all mighty proud of it. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. President Johnson and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on November 5th, 1964. Now looking at a full term in office, the Johnson administration was already in transition. That night, the president heard from Vice President-elect Hubert Humphrey about the resignation of Walter Heller as chairman of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. President, yes. sorry to bother you, but I wanted to check up on an item. Uh, you know, you talked to me about Walter Heller. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I was under the impression that... Uh, uh, that uh, he had resigned as of November 1st, is that right? 15th, I think he said. The 15th? Yeah. Oh, well, uh, the reason I mention it is that uh, I thought I'd get in touch with him tonight before I left. Yeah. And I uh, I just wondered under what, uh, uh, whether or not he was still as chairman of the of the council or whether he had uh, quit and, uh, and a substitute had been made for him. No, as I, as I, as I believe it to be, not quite clear. But I think he has selected a man for membership on the council that uh, will uh, succeed him, Gardner Ashley, yeah. as chairman. Yeah. Then there, there'll be another man uh, who is now on the staff yeah. that will go to the place of the council. Yes, sir. Now, I think outside of McNamara and Rush, He's been the most valuable from our standpoint for about three reasons. One, what he says and does, he does it in a way that's pleasing and acceptable and uh, has rapport with me, which is not an easy thing. Uh, the, The second thing is his troika is made up of the Federal Reserve and the Secretary of the Treasury. And uh, all these uh, economists over there that yeah. he's ahead of. And uh, they have to agree on policies, and he actually doesn't have the power of those policies. Those powers are exercised by Federal Reserve and Treasury. They can sell their bonds, yeah. and they can set the interest rate. Yeah. But he does exercise the power that he doesn't have through the president yeah. by going around promoting meetings and having telling the president what's going on. And, and I think this ought to happen. Three, on the general economic front, he is pro-business and pro-labor. Yeah. And he's not addicted to either, and he doesn't have the slightest hesitancy in being critical of either. Yeah. For instance, if they want to raise steel prices, he tells you a month ahead of time that you ought to do this and that. Or if uh, uh, Ruther's trying to get too much out of the UAW, he says so. Yeah. So either as continuing as chairman or being the the top assistant to the president. Yeah, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, his, his problem was uh, not only the health of his wife, yeah. but uh, he just clean ran out of that income, you know. That's right. And now, of course, with the salary increase, that should be modified. We give him the highest anybody in the government draws that we're allowed to, and I, I don't know what it is, but... Uh, uh, if Ralph Dungan was there, he could tell you, but my guess it's around 29 or 30 yeah. compared to 2021. 20, I know that, uh, I thought that if he were off by the uh, uh, this time in November, that you could maybe get him uh, on a consultant basis for a, a couple of months and then bring him back in. Well, he says he's in Paris or, 
uh, London now. Yeah. Uh, on some kind of a meeting. Yes, sir. Well, I wouldn't hesitate if you'd call him. Uh, just say that we just, it's just a real blow to us uh, starting off. He says that he'll be available on call. Yes. Anytime. Uh, the only point I want to make is like McNamara being available on call. Yeah. This guy is there every, every day, and I have found in, a, in the year I've been there that I'd rate him one of the, uh, he, I just rate him along in the league with the others, particularly on the front that's so so terribly important to us. Well, he's I been right on prices. He's kept them stable. He's been right on interest. He's been right on labor. He's been right with the businessman. He's with the other economic advisor that gets along. Uh, Martin doesn't agree with him at all. Yeah. But he still prevails. Yeah. And well, the Federal Reserve would have already had uh, half a dozen times different policies, in my judgment, except for him. Uh-huh. And well, I'll get to work on him right away. I tell you, I thought that uh, uh, just to make sure that we followed through, you know, that uh, Max is his lawyer. Yeah. And I thought that I'd uh, share this with Max and urge yeah. him to keep on top of him while I, I was away. I think that would be good. I think it. Uh, I think he could appeal to him from the state pride, from your pride, from his own future, from the country's own future, to stay there and help this thing go right. And and I, I would. Uh, I don't think he can really have anything higher in government. But if it is, I wouldn't hesitate to consider him for it. Well, I know that. I understand. I have. All a, right, uh, he's he, he just going on his merit, as far as I'm concerned. I, I have no uh, other. Uh, nobody's ever recommended him to me. No, I know that. I know that. Well, he uh, uh, the best arrangement, of course, would be him for him to stay right where he is. That's that's right. That would be it. And. Uh, Tell him we'll promote the other council members or something else or find something for him. And we just feel uh, insecure without him and we just need him. And, uh, and I just think it's terrible and see if he can't work it out some way. And then if we can't, well, then we'll just make him available as much as he can be. Very good. <coughs> Very good. All right, I've called a couple of our friends up here now and I'll finish up those calls tonight. I enjoyed being with you. Well, it was a great, uh, great trip, Mr. President. I enjoyed it immensely. Okay. Bye now. The next day, President Johnson, still at his Texas ranch, spent time on the phone with his national security advisor, McGeorge Bundy. They talk about who may be staying in the administration, who may be leaving, and conducting a talent search to fill key positions. Some of the people they mention include Clark Clifford, who's serving on the president's intelligence advisory board, Treasury Secretary Douglas Dillon, Health Education and Welfare Secretary Anthony Celebrezzi, White House Special Counsels Lee White and Mike Feldman, Chief Congressional Aide Larry O'Brien, Deputy Attorney General Nicholas Katzenbach, and Special Assistant Ralph Dungan, who had just been appointed Ambassador to Chile. Hello. How are you, Mr. President? Fine, Mac. Glad Get, to hear you. Getting some sleep? No, I'm not getting anything. I'm just... Uh, <laughs> You're you know, terrible. I've been looking at some of the wires and reading some of the papers yeah. and yeah. going over some of all the Freemans and uh, uh, General stuff come in. Everybody, I'm sure, is in with stuff. Uh, Buzz called me about a press conference for tomorrow, and the best piece of news I can think of to make would be to announce some people to conduct a talent hunt. And I wanted to try out with you a list of people that I've talked over with Bob McNamara and with uh, uh, Kermit Gordon, the two people who are right around. Some of them have been talked over also with others before. That you might appoint a committee or say that you were going to appoint a committee to, to help you get the best possible people 
if you wanted to, you, the natural and easy man to put in charge of that would be Humphrey. And then you could add Bob McNamara, Sarge Shriver, who did the Kennedy talent hunt, and John Macy, who'd almost have to be in it as the head of the Civil Service Commission. Then try and get three or four or five first-rate public citizens people, people like Courtney Smith, who's the president of Swarthmore and runs the Rhodes Scholarship Selection. John Gardner, who's the head of the Carnegie Corporation in New York and is probably the best talent scout in the foundation and higher educational world. Maybe if you need a, a labor man, I would say Walter Ruther. If you'd rather not have a labor man, you wouldn't have to have one with Hubert there. If you did put Ruther on, then I would suggest that you balance him with somebody like George Baker, who's the dean of the Harvard Business School, which runs the entire sort of servicing of junior executives for business in the country. Then we'd need someone from the West, a fellow named Howard Bowen has been suggested. He's the president of the University of Iowa and a good staunch Democrat and a hell of a promising younger man. Um, now, to do this really tidily, we ought to wait, but if you wanted to make the impression tomorrow, we, I could get in touch with these people and get them buttoned up if you want me to. No, I don't. I wouldn't want to announce it. I, I, some of them I wouldn't want on there. For instance, I wouldn't want Ruther and yeah. Humphrey, and I'd scare the hell out of the country. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, the others uh, sound generally pretty good. I don't think you ought to make an announcement of it, though. Uh, well, you could just think say you're uh, going undo. to make such an appointment, set of appointments and hold it up, or you could simply say you're thinking about it for tomorrow. Well, I think the thing we ought to do is you ought to you ought to talk to each one of these folks that you can. Uh, uh, that that uh, the the, the ones and the educators and the folks of that general type, and yeah. say that they want any uh, good people that they they know of that might be available for. Of that we can service and without saying anything the papers about it. I, right. think, I think it's a, I wouldn't want to. You don't want to. I don't know what the, the, unless we've really got some news to make, I don't see anything but trouble out of the press. I couldn't, what they'll ask you, Mr. President, question one is what does your mandate mean? And uh, I wonder if you want to answer that question right now. Uh, I don't think unless there's some good reason to, well, my, no, own, my own advice would be against it, but the way Buzz reported it was a decision, and, and we were going no, to... No, no, I, I told them if they had any news to yeah. let's see what it was, and, and let's get anything we could get, and uh, then take a look at it. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I, I don't... Uh, well, this job can be done just as well on the basis of actually asking people to do the work and not making a fuss about it. That's right. What I'd like to... The advantage of that is it prevents them getting a thousand letters from all the office seekers. What I'd like you to do is talk to whoever did the job for Kennedy. Yeah. Whoever you could recall that, uh, that really thought up uh, you and thought up uh, Goldberg and thought up uh, McNamara and the folks of that kind. And if uh, uh, if that was, if Fryver had any experience in it, ask him yeah. how he did and who he talked to. And then... Uh, you tried to talk to some of the same folks along the same line. Well, we uh, filled with uh, undersecretaries and assistant secretaries in different places, and uh, I think the real key job that we got to get pretty quick is uh, uh, the attorney general and uh, 
they keep leaking out of the story that we're very unhappy with Celebrezzi. I'm not unhappy with him, and if I were unhappy with him, I'd think it'd be very cruel to leak it out. What I want to do is to say it. I wish that you'd say to any of them and ask you that we're pleased with our cabinet and we're not to. Yeah. We're not, I don't think it's fair to a man to keep it. When you and get read to it. make those changes, you want to make them with the man. That's right. This way. That's right. I, I never have expressed that thought, and I don't like uh, I got a letter from Dillon. And he wants to talk to me about leaving the government. That troubles me a great deal because I just, I just really don't want him to leave the government. I, I really genuinely want him, but I'm afraid that these White House spokesmen have been speaking about Dylan uh, uh, not being happy. I'm not being sure that's ha- not it, Mr. President. I had a half an hour with him, and Clark Clifford told me he'd had an hour with him uh, earlier this week. I said to him what I knew, that you wanted him to stay, and he said he, he understood that, he really understood that, that he had very powerful personal reasons which have to do with the fact that the Dillons are worth a couple hundred million dollars, and uh, his father's 82 and dying, and there's nobody in charge of that office and hasn't been for 12 years, and he really is under the heaviest kind of family obligation to do something about it. But uh, he... I, I, I think there's, you know, there's only one man in the government that can change his mind, and you're that man. And, uh, I wonder if Clark isn't pretty good on talent scouting. Now, Clark is, and is already thinking about it. He Wish you'd look over that White House, because that's really where we're going to really need to start him, right there. Place. He is yeah. looking it over. You ought to get him down if, you, if you're willing to stay down there next week, because I think you can, Mr. President. Well, I'm worried about you. always put them on such a spot when they come in. Uh... I don't believe you need to... I don't know how tightly you're watched down there. Oh, they just watch everything. They make you tell them who's here every day. They got every road watched and got every plane watched. And, Can't uh, a jet star get in and out? Yeah, but uh, he, I don't think he could come without... Uh, I think Clark could get in there. Uh, what you ought to do is, uh, Mr. President, you can have people come that it's permissible for you to see, like Rusk and McNamara and me, and we can stow away anybody you want. And the same thing if you send for Kermit Gordon, you can have a stowaway. Uh, I don't think that strip is watched, and I, I think you can get anybody in and out there that you want with a little planning. Well, we might do that. I've... I kind of thought what I might do is just come on back Saturday afternoon and go to church Sunday and work there Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday where everybody's there and then come on back here Wednesday for the president of Mexico and stay the rest of the weekend. Well, I, I haven't decided yet. I don't want to be away too long. And I think the country feels good to have you resting at the ranch, Mr. President. Uh, I'm just looking at the Newsweek and Time copy. I don't know whether you've seen yours, but this victory is one that uh, has a very comfortable lee lee shore behind it. You don't, you're out of the wind for a while, and uh, I would think that people would expect you to make the government come to you for a bit. I was distressed this morning to learn Lee White was thinking about leaving. Well, that's news to me. Uh, I was told the same thing yesterday, and I think he ought to be talked out of it. I, I can uh, check with him if he's still in town. I wish you would. Just tell him that we just consider him indispensable. I will. He's a hell of a good fellow. And in that field, he's awfully good, and he's run it well, I think. And, uh I don't know what to do about the... Uh, about the uh, Feldman thing. We never did give him the top title. We just uh, told him that he'd be acting there. I'm acting, but I think it's just awful. I can, I do need to talk to you about that because I talked with Bob McNamara for two hours today and found he felt very strongly that 
that was the soft point in, in your existing staff and, and uh, that, that uh, we ought to do something about it. Now, I can generate a darn good job offer for Mike, but I don't want to do it until until the circumstances are right from your point of view and until you're sure, because he cuts an awful lot of bread, Mr. President, as Clark said yesterday. I talked to him about it. And uh, the only thing is, he's just not altogether thinking about how it how it is for you, and that's what you've got to have. Well, I guess we'll let him talk about it. I sure do like that boy, Ed Chase, what I know about him. He's good. I can promise you. And Bob, I checked that with Bob. Because the two people I feel free to talk with at the moment are McNamara and Clifford, and I, I, yeah. I'm just staying. Well, check it with everybody, and let's try to find some people. Uh, Clifford, ever say what he'd do about Finney? Clifford, I tell you what, Mr. President, I talked to Clark, uh, and I think I think the truth of the matter is that uh, he, if, if you offered him the attorney generalship, he would take it. If he did that, then he would want Finney guarding the shop. If he didn't do the attorney generalship, then I think his readiness to part with Finney would go up. Finney, t I'd called on Walter Jenkins yesterday afternoon. He's much better. And uh, he told me he had talked to Finney at your request and that he thinks Finney would come into the White House if you asked him to. Uh, but he thinks uh, it's Walter, really, who told me his judgment was Clark wanted Finney to guard the shop because he wanted to be free if you asked him. Now, Clark also told me that his whole relationship with you was built on his not wanting anything and that he thought you knew that, and I believe that to be absolutely true. He sees the chance to be a great attorney general and uh, uh, to be the man who sets a standard. Uh, although he has some of the reputation of a fixer, you and I know he's not a fixer, and I think he'd get past that. I'm, I, I do think he'd be a very distinguished attorney general. I doubt if you could have him and Finney, too. I don't think that that works. And there are very good arguments for, for confirming Katzenbach where he is. He is good. He is entirely loyal to you and to your purposes. And he has shown great ability. It's not clear you'd make an improvement right away, except there is a magnitude to Clark and a kind of, uh, you know, he's a big fella, Clark Clifford. Katzenbach is a growing fella. Uh, Penny, I don't know so well, but I know people who do know him have just the highest regard for him. Well, if that puts us back. We're going to need a good many people. I don't know what Larry's going to do. I just sure hate to see him. Well, I think if I were you, I would tell you that Larry doesn't have a thing that he now wants to do. And what I think I think would be true, I talked to Henry Wilson, didn't, not about Larry, but about that office, just gossip about the house yesterday. And he's a very good, thoughtful, and helpful fellow, Henry, just straight as a string. He thinks that, uh, uh, that Larry wants to be free to go, but hasn't, in fact, a particular thing he now wants to go to, and uh, uh, it isn't at all clear to me that Larry is all that eager to go if you really want him to stay. I, I think that's that's something that might... What do you think is going to happen to Ken? Ken, I think, ought not to come back into the White House. I don't know what he wants to do. I would uh, uh, sure offer him a job in the committee, a uh, major job, if, he, if I thought he could be held to that. I, I doubt he can, and I honestly don't know his plans. I just don't know at all. Uh, but I don't think that he can be your appointments officer, and I don't think you think so, and I don't think he'd want to be. And I think that this is uh, just a clear-cut and very, very friendly uh, 
I, I think that's no problem. I think that uh, we all ought to be in the position of saying to Ken, you know, what is it you do want to do, and uh, is there anything we can do to help, or have you got your own ways and means of going and doing it? If, in fact, he wants to leave the government, which my guess is that he does, genuinely wants to. I know he would not be interested in the way Ralph is in going abroad or in an embassy job or anything of that sort. When's Ralph going to go? Ralph uh, set to be sworn in about the 20th and to go within a week after that. So we're moving on a short time frame. He recommends his assistant. Do you know him? As a successor? I wouldn't do that, Mr. President. I do know him. He's a very good, conscientious guy, but he isn't the size and shape of a fellow to be the talent sieve for the White House, and I think most of the people who dealt with him would agree on that. He's a good guy, but uh, uh, your special assistant for appointments is going to be uh, have to be a very hard piece of steel in the next, uh, next six months. And well, who do you think gets it? I don't have the answer yet, but I think after the weekend I will have two or three possibilities. Okay, all right. All right, sir. President Johnson and National Security Advisor McGeorge Bundy on November 6th, 1964. On the next episode of Presidential Recordings, the creation of Medicare and Medicaid. Follow Presidential Recordings wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Lyndon B. Johnson Presidential Library and Foundation, along with the University of Virginia Miller Center, have more conversations from the Johnson presidency. You can find them at lbjtapes.org.